This is Pastoring Out Loud, a podcast for Bethlehem Baptist Church's South Campus. Are you interested in hearing more about our church? Go to www.bethlehem.church forward slash south. Wow, I think I just did that from memory. Was that right? Okay, great. (laughs) Daniel didn't even coach me. (laughs) I've just heard him say it over and over and over again. It's kind of ingrained. Anyway, hi guys. Hey. Hey, Hey, Nick. Dave is here. You're excited about that. Yeah. I'm happy for you. I'm just, yeah, I kind of <laughs> nailed it. I kind of nailed it. <laughs> and Stacy's here. Hi, Stacy. Hey. So uh, you just recently got back from Arizona, right? Yep. Did you have a wildlife encounter? <laughs> Close encounter. Of the wildlife well, kind? <laughs> a couple of days we would go on little nature walks, you know, out in the, you know, a desert park. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of dangerous there because well, yeah. the, the wild, the vegetation is dangerous. So my kids are like being crazy. I'm like, watch out. There's this <laughs> cactus. So then at one point in the walk, I get a little bit too close. There's these, a certain kind of cactus called a chola. Mm. And it, I, I think it jumps off of itself. It like jumps oh. off and I think it attacked me. Like it shoots well, the spines? I think it can do that. Wow. But I think I got too close and I don't know if there was I'm one already on my on the ground and it rolled onto my shoe, but it fell onto my shoe and it poked right through. It was like a needle. Wow. Yeah. Should have been then, wearing leather hiking boots. <laughs> I think so. So I was surprised at how much. What's, what is it called? It hurt. Chola. A chola? It looks from the road, it looks chola. like a chola fluffy cactus. Yes, yeah. it looks like a I'm fluffy kind of thing. I'm finding different stuff when I type in chola, so I'm looking at chola cactus. No, now. it's dangerous. Not cola. It's really okay. dangerous. So. All right. Well, did you make it? <laughs> I made it. It didn't draw blood. Were you able to continue the hike though? Yeah. Okay. They are known for their barbed spines that tenaciously attach to skin, fur, and clothing. See, I think it attacked me. It was tenacious. <laughs> tenaciously. But. It was beautiful, even though it was kind of definitely different than Minnesota. How hot did it get? One day it was 90. Wow. Yep. It was... But it was it dry does. heat. It dry ju- heat, Ethan. It, it does. It jumps, it jumps off of itself onto the skin or clothing of a passerby. Sounds wow. like an That's Indiana Jones movie. One other thing I have to say, because I already raved about this on my social media, but we saw wild horses, too. It was the oh, coolest that's thing. Fun. It was really like worshipful and yeah, beautiful. Horses. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, Ethan's like shaking his head. Do you believe in a dry heat, Ethan? Oh, his mic's not on. He has a microphone in front of him. He's shaking his head. No, he doesn't like that. It was amazing. 90 sounds nice to me. It was. Anyway. There's a a video of this thing. (laughs) Dave's still on the chola. It's pretty incredible. As you walk by, a piece of it breaks off. And jumps at you and tenaciously attaches that itself to you. That is what happened. I'm telling you. Wow. Okay. All right. This was better than I thought it was going to be. It was a mental note. I thought this was going to really be, go flat. Anyway. Yes. Hey, guys. We are here today to talk about principles of biblical interpretation. So um, one of the things, if you've been around Bethlehem, you know that we started this uh, training institute at the South Campus called Truth on Fire. Dave is still watching videos and making faces about (laughs) cactus. Anyway, so we've started Truth on Fire Institute. Sorry, I just kind of spit on Stacey. And and we've heard a lot of people say, hey, we'd we'd just kind of be interested to hear about the type of things that you guys are covering in the class. 
Um, so we thought it might be good to do a couple episodes on, hey, what are we talking about in Truth and Fire? So the first subject that we went over in the class is called Principles of Biblical Interpretation. So first of all, I guess the first question is, what is Principles of Biblical Interpretation and why is it important? Either of you have anything to say about that? They're deferring. Someone's got to talk. Uh, principles of biblical inter- interpretation. What is it? They are the principles by which you would try to interpret the Bible. Great, great. What would those well, be? Well, we're then, done. Dave? Thanks for listening, guys. <laughs> Sorry, the cactus is still in my mind. Yeah. Um, are you saying the, the reason it's important? Yeah. Is why is it, it important? The reason yeah. it's important is um, oftentimes we treat the Bible unlike we treat any other literature. So you know, if you're in any good English literature class, you will learn that you, to to figure out the author's intent, you need to understand things like historical setting, genre, uh, the context it was written in, um, you know, all all those kinds of things. But oftentimes Mm -hmm. what happens, and I think it happens uh, not just in American culture, but in lots of different culture, the Bible, mm-hmm. is that because it's this book that's been written by God, there's kind of a, there's a spiritualizing of it, or even what some people would call like an eisegesis, which means like, what do I think it means? And we yeah, just yeah, kind of yeah. like come to our emotional, subjective feelings about it. And so when we do this biblical interpretation, what we're really trying to do is treat the Bible uh, like uh other literature and that we're trying to figure out what does the Bible say about itself? What does the author really want us to understand? And what are the tools and the things we need to know to be able to interpret it rightly? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that that's, I mean, it's been important throughout history, but especially today we live in what a lot of people would consider a very relativistic society where you can make your own truth and you can make your own meaning. And you know, like the, the, the saying, live your truth, you know, Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of like truth is whatever you want it to be. And it's really important when we're believing as Christians that God defines truth and there actually is a right and a wrong and he's communicated that to us. Right. Right? So that's something that we really have to hold on to. And then we have to know, well, how do you discover what that truth is? And if we believe that the Bible is God's word, then that's, that's, we have to know, well, how do we rightly interpret it? Right, and that's pretty countercultural today. Um, so we kind of, kind of begged the question a little bit already. But does the Bible have an intended meaning, and can we know it? That might sound like kind of a straightforward question to us, but I, it's not to a lot of people. So, does it have an intended meaning, and can we know it? Yes. Yeah. I and and what we would say about I mean, so so even. Um, even beyond just biblical interpretation principles, there's some concepts that we believe in. So we believe in uh, that that God is the ultimate author of the Bible, and that He wrote it through these human authors mm-hmm. under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Right. And so we believe, and kind of the whole point of uh, biblical interpretation is, we believe that God has an intended meaning for the whole Bible, for every book. Uh, in the Bible, and that there are threads and realities that God wants to see as he records and interprets history for us mm-hmm. in the Bible, um, that that he, he, he has put there that we would see him and know him 
and love him and worship him all the more. So we say yes, and then we'd say, how do we how do we find it or can we find it out? We'd say, well, let's let's look at these principles together mm-hmm. and let's make it as objective as we can. Yep. Yeah, that's good. And I think, um, you know, especially that question, can we know it? You know, you talk to a lot of people and there's different views, right, about the Bible. So some people interpret something one way and some people interpret the other way. And someone might just throw their hands up in the air and say, well, there's experts, you know, on both sides Mm -hmm. and you can't know 100%, right? You can't know 100% if your view is right. So is there any hope then that we can know what the Bible actually says? Is there anything you guys would say about that? Well, I think just off the bat, I'm just thinking like as believers, God has given us the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. to help us understand what he's said. And I don't, I don't think even apart from that, we could right. understand, even if you're doing like good literary analysis and like, you know, all of that. But then I think there's an element of it that you can't without the Holy Spirit's help. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that gets with what you're at getting question, but yeah. Um, and then, um, you know, just thinking about the complexity of the Bible, like it, God did, did use different human authors to speak to us and he used different genres, which I think is cool and like shows his own variety of like speaking to us in different ways and things. Mm-hmm. And, um, so it is, it is going to be hard and there's going to be some work involved to understand what he meant. Right. It's, yeah. Yeah, I agree with everything Stacy said. Um, you know, it's it's what's interesting is that she she's talking about the Holy Spirit, and I would say, you know, that's where we, that's where illumination comes, right? Where we not only can read and say, yeah, here's what the literature means, but where God begins to do something in our hearts with it, where it begins to change us and transform us, mm-hmm. um, and and that's significant because that that's that's the point, right? So there's there's mm-hmm. actually like some non-Christian scholars. They get a lot of stuff right sure, when they sure. interpret the Bible, mm-hmm. but then they they miss the whole point, right? Yeah. Which is yeah. worship <laughs> of God and love for God right. and love for neighbor. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I think I think that, but so I think it's really significant. What I would say too is that um, sometimes in our day and age, we because I think it could be because we live in this age of relativism, you know, kind of we move from kind of the the modern era where we're going to figure everything out. Mm-hmm. Oh, wait, we couldn't. Now here we are in the postmodern era. So because we couldn't figure everything out, you know, who really knows about anything? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that in in some sense has really heightened and exaggerated the differences. I mean, it's significant to me that really on the major orthodox uh, beliefs of what it would mean to be a Christian, you know, what we'd call kind of first-tier issues, mm-hmm. there is... High, 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 high levels of agreement as far as biblical interpretation. That was at least seven. At least a perfect number. (laughs) Complete. Um, By accident. God just did that. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. Um, But there's high levels of agreement on that. And so so when we get to these secondary or even third tier issues where there certainly is disagreement... um, you know, we need humility, and we we always want to be able to state the other person's side as well as they can. So we're really wrestling. Mm-hmm. But I, 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 one way I'd answer this, I think it's just exaggerated. Sure. You know, the the actual differences um, when it comes to Orthodox Christian faith, and then I'd say, 
um, even where there are differences, uh, we still, I, I think it's good for both people to assume we, we can find a meaning here. Let's both walk through our exegetical process mm-hmm. and let's see where, where does the difference happen in the process for yeah, us? Yeah. That's mm-hmm. pretty enlightening too. And, and really that's what I found to be most helpful when I disagree with someone. Yep. You go, at what point in your process do you get here? You know, and, and then you can kind of talk about that. But without that, you know, I think we can know meaning. And even someone who has a different opinion than me has got to believe we can have meaning, right? Otherwise, why That try? doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. And I would say, I mean, that's a, that's a really helpful way to frame it because um, the way that I've, I've thought about can you know a meaning, a lot of one of the things that critics of like there is one meaning in this text, right? Mm-hmm. They say, well, you're just bringing your cultural assumptions, Right, so everyone has a background. Everyone has cultural biases, things that they may not be aware of in their life, and it's true. You know, we all come from different places, and they say, "Well, you're just bringing that to the text, and you can't get rid of it." So it creates this circle. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if you think about a circle where you have the biblical text, yep. you read it, and then you ask a question of the text, but you're asking it with a cultural assumption, and that it gives back a culturally. Uh, skewed answer Mm -hmm. and you get in this feedback loop of just this circle it's called the hermeneutical circle and you can't escape it right so that's what they say Mm -hmm. well you're just bringing your cultural assumptions and you'll always get back a cultural answer from the bible and we don't believe that Mm -hmm. so what we believe it's something called the way i learned it was called the hermeneutical spiral that's right so if you think about the difference between a circle and a spiral a circle just goes round and round forever you don't get any closer to the center A a spiral keeps going in towards the middle, and the middle is absolute 100% biblical truth. So what we say, and this is where the role of the Holy Spirit comes in, is when we bring our honest questions to the biblical text, even with our biases and our brokenness and all of the things that we bring as individual humans, we ask a question and we get back an answer, but then we keep going, and we keep sitting with it, and we rely on the Holy Spirit, and we ask again, and we get back another Uh, answer from the text, and it's spiraling closer. And the more time that you spend with the Bible, the more, the closer, using good principles, the closer you get to that center. And that's the hermeneutical hermeneutical spiral. And I think that it's a logical fallacy to say, unless you know something 100% for sure, that you know the thing, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so what what Don Carson, he he talks about um, a reasonable confidence. Mm -hmm. You can have a reasonable confidence using good hermeneutical principles, principles of interpretation, that you know what the Bible is saying. Relying on the Holy Spirit, spending lots of time using good principles, you can have a reasonable confidence. Is that always 100%? Well, no, but no one has 100% mm-hmm. you know, confidence in anything. knowing anything. <laughs> yeah. Anything. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. And so that's a, that's a fallacy. You unless you know 100%, you can't know. That's wrong. You can have a reasonable assurance that you can know what the Bible says. So can I ask a question for an example? Mhm. So like a common verse, just like walk us through this as an mm-hmm. example. Jeremiah 29:11. Sure. For I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord mm-hmm. to give you a hope and a future, prosper you, whatever. I don't know exactly what it says now off the top of my head, but mm-hmm. Can I just read that? How do I read that verse? Can I yeah. just read that and say, God is, 
you know, going to do X, Y, or Z for me Yep. from that verse. Yeah. Well, that leads into the, so if we're going to take that verse, what are some of the principles that we have to be aware of then? Can, can I say one more thing too? Sure. Just like as a, like the Bible kind of affirming itself too. Like oh, one, yeah. of, one of my favorite verses is 2 Timothy 2, 7, uh, th- which is think over what I say for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Mm-hmm. So I think that we can assume mm-hmm. that this book that God says is alive as we spend time with it, God will, mm-hmm. like Stacy said, by the Holy Spirit, he's, he will give understanding. Yep. So as Christians, we walk in with that assumption, mm-hmm. and that leads us down the spiral that yeah. you talked about. Yep. That's really good. Okay, so taking Jeremiah 29, 11, Dave, maybe just list what are some principles that we have to think through before we can you know, come to our conclusion. Yeah. So, uh, who's writing it? So, uh, who is writing it, Nick? Who's writing Jeremiah twenty nine eleven? The prophet Jeremiah. Good work. Good work. <laughs> one for one. Um, what's I the? Know this is turning into a quiz. <laughs> what's the? What's the historical context there? Yeah. So Jeremiah is writing it as a prophet in Israel, and um, he's writing. I can't remember which exile. This is this is a part of, but he's writing to a people in exile. that are in exile and they are wondering, right? Yeah. What's mm-hmm. God's yep. you know, has is, is God's faithful? Is he gonna keep his promises? What's going on here? Yeah. Um and so he's writing to a specific people mm-hmm. in a specific time and place. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the things you have to consider. Mm-hmm. What is the historical context? Mm-hmm. So that's the historical context of the book. Jeremiah mm-hmm. writing to people in exile, questioning God's faithfulness. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have to consider the genre. Mm-hmm. And the genre is what type of literature is this? So what are what are some of the types of genre that are in the Bible? Maybe, Stacy, do you have examples of different? Yep, narrative. Mm-hmm. A lot of the Bible's narrative, which is historical narrative, Mm-hmm. Um, stories that are, were true, um, poetry, wisdom literature, like the Psalms, mm-hmm. Proverbs. Um, we have the Gospels, the letters. Yep. Um, yeah, and as with yeah. any genre, yeah. they all need to. You need to bring the assumed rules of how that type of literature functions to right. the table mm-hmm. in order to mm-hmm. properly understand it. Right. Like if mm-hmm. I read a fiction book, yeah, I know it's a story. Mm-hmm. I'm not reading it for mm-hmm. historical mm-hmm. accuracy or something. So with Jeremiah 29, 11, Dave, where would you place that in the genre conversation? Place it in prophecy. Mm-hmm. Um, and prophecy being, I mean, the way I view prophecy too is that it's really, it's it's more uh, foretelling than foretelling. Mm-hmm. In other words, Jeremiah more than kind of predicting out of thin air um, Something. What he's doing is he's looking back, and this was the next question I was going to ask you. He's looking back on covenants, right? Promises that God has made with His people, and going, God's in this with you. He, he's still with you. He's made this promise to you, which is also where we see a lot of the warnings of prophecy, right? Yeah. Absolutely. If you look at the warnings that prophets give, they are strangely aligned with the curses God has promised if they break His covenants. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that we're looking at that too. What is not only where is it situated, but what is what is this genre, this prophecy, what is it appealing to mm-hmm. as it's speaking to this people? Right. Yep. And then that gets to another thing. You have to consider not just the historical context, but the biblical context. Yep. Where is this in the storyline? And what yep. we believe, and we'll get into this probably in a future episode where we talk about biblical theology, but we believe that all of Bible, the Bible is pointing towards Christ, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it, I can't remember exactly the reference in Corinthians um, 
where all the promises find their yes and amen in Christ, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So then we have to filter this promise for Old Testament Israel through the lens of Jesus and then see how it applies to us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what we find is that, and I'm getting ahead of myself, but as long as we're doing this example, um, Jesus fulfills and becomes the true and perfect Israel, right? Mm-hmm. So where the people of Israel failed, Jesus succeeds. He's tempted in the wilderness. He never sins. You know, he um, does the things that the that, that Israel was failed to do. The perfect son. Mm-hmm. Yep. 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 And so then in him, now we're united to him. Union with Christ. It's everywhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. So then... We can filter that promise, which was for a specific people in a specific time in a specific place, and find that actually in Christ, it doesn't apply to us in the exact the same way, like our physical you know, circumstances. We're not in exile in the same way that Israel was. But in Christ, God does have a plan and a purpose for our lives, mm-hmm. and he does ultimately want to prosper us. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a legitimate takeaway for a Christian, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There is good, and um, so you can't just take it and say, well, I'm like Israel, so I'm going to apply it the same way, but you have to filter it through the lens of Christ. Well, yeah, I was going to say, and, and you have to, and you got to do all that at the same time, mm-hmm. because otherwise you say, well, yeah, so, because I'm a Christian, that applies to me, like you said, in a different way, you have to talk about what is the different way. Right. Because otherwise you can get into weird prosperity gospel yeah. mm-hmm. type things. You can get into weird things like, well, of course uh, I'm going to be delivered in this physical yeah. right. way. Whereas, you know, we would say something like, well, we look here, he's really, he's hearkening to a return to the land, to a return to the promised land, yep. to God's presence, God's people in his place. Like we've heard that a little bit in Genesis. And so, mm. so what is the promise for the Christian well, there's a place so much better than the promised land, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. The promise got bigger in Christ so mm-hmm. that one day, despite, uh, you know, I mean, this is really, so we could just go to Romans 8. Mm-hmm. Despite sufferings and brokenness yes. of yep. this present time, they're not worth being compared to the glory that's coming. Mm-hmm. And nothing will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, neither life nor death nor angels nor principalities nor anything will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That's, I think that's how we would bring the promise forward Amen. into our context, into our covenant, our yep. new covenant promises in Christ, and say that that's how that would apply. Something, something like that. Because if, if you say, yes, it applies, but then you don't bring, a, bring in the, well, what does the rest of the text say about how that applies with these same mm-hmm. principles? Then you can get to dangerous places yeah. too. Exactly. Yep. You have to do those steps first. That's right. Yeah. Yep. So maybe just as a way to wrap this conversation up, you know, as Christians, and specifically Protestant Christians, we believe that the Bible's for everyone, right? So yep. some people say, oh, principles of biblical interpretation, that's just important for preachers because they're preaching on Sunday and, you know, whatever. How would you answer someone who, who says that? Well, I, we should all be wanting to read the word, you know, mm-hmm. ourselves. And um, so when I read it, I, I want to be reading it correctly. I want to hear what God has to say. Um, I don't want to come at it, like you said earlier, like, well, here's what it seems to me, or, mm-hmm. you know. Right. So it really is important for each Christian to ha- at least have, like, a basic understanding of how to read mm-hmm. God's word. Yep. Yeah, what I, would, what I just would... What I would hope, um, 
And again, this is part of like the philosophy of how we preach at Bethlehem. Mm-hmm. We like to preach by, uh, and while we preach, teach how to read the Bible, yep. point out things that people might grow in that. And my goal and my expectation is not even that while I preach, oh, everyone's just going to pick up all their principles here and we're going to be able to do it, but to create a kind of hunger to know God. Like, you know, there's a, we, we know God uh, circumstantially. He's gracious to us in our circumstances to remind us who he is, um, and he's gracious to us in prayer, to fellowship with us there. I mean, the, the way that I have grown in my love and worship for God more than any other is to see him rightly in the book he wrote about himself. Mm-hmm. And so I, I just, I hope our people would say, How, wait, there's a way that I can know him better? Mm-hmm. Uh, I hope they want in on that. that right. That's what I'd say. You know, I hope they're not you know, a worship service on Sunday is great, but how much better would it be if all of our people were diving deep in the Word all week, knowing God because they've dove into these principles and they can understand Him better and worship Him more, so that Sunday morning would just be like this big exclamation point together yep. of what He's been doing individually with us all week. Yep, and my hope would be that if people take these principles seriously, that they can have an ever-growing confidence that you can know God. Mm-hmm. You can know His truth. You can know what He says. Amen. So... Maybe. Thanks a lot. This is a great discussion. Take truth on fire. Yeah, we'll do it. Do it again next year. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>